You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. On a very rainy, rainy weekend in New York, we got a special Rico Bronia. We'll discuss the Friday night loss, the rain, the rotation, the roster moves. And coming up, we had talked about this uh, maybe a week ago, a nice debate about the pitch clock with a loyal WFN listener who's very anti-pitch clock. So that's all coming up. Let's start off with the Friday game. So it's frustrating because I think that we as Met fans could look at the weather forecast and for a myriad of reasons, say this game should not be played. Should be played for a few selfish reasons. A, if you had tickets to that game, nobody wanted to sit in 48-degree weather in which it was going to rain all night, and it was likely going to pick up enough where the game would not be concluded. That's obvious, number one. And number two is, selfishly, we look at the state of the Met rotation. We look at the state of the Brave rotation with Max Fried and Spencer Strider scheduled to start the first two games, and it's logical to say, rain this bitch out. Kind of like going back to opening day when I still think the Mets rained opening day out knowing they needed an off day, knowing they had the next day, they played the game, they could rest the bullpen. It behooved the Mets to rain the game out. On Friday night, it behooved the Mets to rain the game out. I know that, you know that, everybody knows that. Here's the problem. I'm going to give you the other side before we discuss the five innings that were played. There isn't a lot of room to make these games up. The weather is supposed to be bad all weekend. They obviously postponed the game on Saturday. The game on Sunday is in peril. They should be fine on Monday. Now, they could play a doubleheader on Monday, which at least makes up one of the games that got rained out. But if you rain out Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, even if you make up one of those games on Monday, you are now forcing two doubleheaders in August or a doubleheader in August and trying to find a common off day. That's not ideal. So as much as we as fans say, hey, push this back as far as you can because of the state of the current team, which I obviously agree with, scheduling made this thing impossible. And so what really sucked about Friday, first of all, if you had tickets, it sucked. The Mets did uh, announce a very nice gesture, which is if you have tickets to the game, whether you went or you didn't go, you can now exchange those tickets for a future game, which they have done before, and that's fine. That's a great gesture. Good job by the Mets. But you went to that baseball game on Friday night, and you witnessed something that I think shouldn't be allowed in Major League Baseball. And I've screamed about this for years with Beningo to the point where, you know, it was obvious after any game that didn't go nine innings, I was going to say the same stuff. Well, I'm going to say it today. There is no other sport where they don't play a complete game, yet call it and say it's a complete game. And the one that annoys me the most is when you only play five innings of a baseball game. Now, you want to tell me 
It's the eighth inning, and it's 11-1, fine. There are certain circumstances where when you rain a game out, you can say rain-shortened, and you can call it a day. But here's what really annoys me. So David Peterson goes out and for four innings looks great. Give him all the props in the world. He was actually dominant for four innings. He runs into trouble in the fifth inning. We'll get to that inning in a second. Explodes, gives up four runs. While the Mets never figured out Matt Fried, Max Fried, Max Fried's pitch count after the fifth inning was 86. 86, which means the best case scenario the Braves had was that Fried was going to come out and pitch the sixth inning, and if he got through it, that'd be it which means the Braves would still need to get nine outs from a bullpen that a day earlier imploded against the Miami Marlins. While I'm not telling you the Mets were going to win this game, this game was far from over. There were a lot of reasons, I just laid them out, why you cannot tell me, as negative as you are as a Mets fan or as positive you are as a Brave fan, that that game is over. We just witnessed a day earlier the Braves blow a 4-0 lead in the ninth inning to the Miami Marlins when A.J. Minter sucked. So I'm not going to lie to you. I'm annoyed. You want to call me a sore loser? Fine. I've been consistent about this forever. Wins, losses, opponents. It doesn't matter. A five-inning game is not a real baseball game. And the way they did this on Friday is they basically said, we'll play through the piss falling from the sky at the five innings, and then as soon as we make it official, we're going to roll the tarp out. Well, here's the problem. As soon as the tarp rolled out, the game was over. There was no way they were going to restart that game. So the umpires and the Mets and the Braves, if they're making a decision to start that game, then you better finish it. Because I think it's a disgrace to play five innings and call it a day. That's not a real baseball game. In this day and age, your bullpen needs to get nine outs. The Brave bullpen didn't have to get any outs. The Met bullpen didn't have to get any outs. And look it is still likely the Mets would have lost that game. But we don't know for sure, and we never got to find out. So that pisses me off. It pisses me off that they started the game, and then if you're going to start the game, then I'm sorry, figure out a way to play nine innings. Especially with the fact that you're not, you you know you're going to miss Saturday and or Sunday as well. Uh, and it really does hit with the rest of the series. The fact that Freed was going to be needed to be out of there sooner than later. Now we can't get to the bullpen, which could affect Sunday, Monday. I mean, that there's a lot of different intangibles that go into every single game. I, I am so a believer it's, it's a that, deal. you know, there's a new rule in baseball. started a few years ago where let's say they play three innings and they stop the game because of rain. In the old days, they would wipe the game out like it wouldn't count. I always thought that was unfair. A guy hits a home run in the second inning, it should still count. So they changed the rule a couple of years ago is during the pandemic where if they stop a game before it's official, they will suspend it and then pick it up at a later date. We even saw that last year in the most absurd way possible. The Mets and the Marlins were playing a game in April. Marcus Stroman faced one batter and they stopped the game and the game got rained out. When they picked the game up a few months later with different rosters, they started it from that first inning. Now that's absurd. Like I think a game like that, sure, you want to wipe it out, fine, no big deal. But obviously, most other games, if you play two or three or four innings and runs are scored, of course it should count. Think about it from a fantasy perspective. <laughs> guy, it's a home run for you, right? They stop the game, it doesn't count. What if that guy ends up hitting 62 home runs, right? So I'm all for that baseball said, hey, we stop a game, we suspend it. I would do the same with this. Or I would change the official game rules to eight innings or a deficit of eight runs or more. 
because I think a four-run game in the sixth inning is a reasonable baseball game. That is not enough of a game to simply call. Now, what's the cutoff for this, like I just said? Are my suggestions necessarily the answer? Not saying it is. I don't know if it's, well, eight innings is good, five innings isn't. I just don't feel comfortable with certain baseball games. And I'll give you an example that had nothing to do with the Mets. Many years ago, I met my dad in Philadelphia. I was living in D.C. at the time. He was up in New York. And we met in Philadelphia to see a Phillies-Reds game. Swear to God. Uh, He had a a client, I think. He's a CPA who had great Philly tickets. And we said, yeah, let's go to a game. So he went to a Phillies-Reds game. You could look this game up. Sean Casey got hit in the head, right? And the Phillies lost the game 1-0. You know what? I'm conflating two games. I think it was a Phillies-Marlins game. And Dontrell Willis pitched five scoreless innings. We did this a few times. I apologize. (laughs) Okay. Fact check me on this one. Phillies, Marlins, Dontre Willis pitched like five scoreless innings. Marlins are up one nothing. I think this was 03. All right. Game gets rained out after five. Me and my dad are like, "Ah, that's kind of sucks, but whatever. You know, not, not really fans of either team. Obviously we're Met fans. Mets weren't in a pennant race that year. They were terrible. I go back to DC. The Phillies missed the playoffs. If memory serves correct by a game. And they lost a one nothing game or a 2-1 to game in five innings. And it bothered me. As someone that's not even a Philly fan, I'm not rooting for the Phillies, but I felt how unfair that was. And so this has always been a bugaboo. Now, this is the Rico Bronia, so I assume 98% of the audience are Met fans, and we're all going to just pom-pom each other. But I'm telling you, this is genuinely something that annoys me, no matter who it affects. It affected us. It sucked. We couldn't figure out Max Freed. David Peterson teased us for four innings. I mean, my God, if David Peterson gets through the fifth inning, do they stop the game after five or do they just push it and start the sixth inning? No, seriously, it's a serious question. Like, are they stopping that game and suspending it? I don't know. Now, as far as that fifth inning is concerned, deeply frustrating because Peterson gets the first guy out, gives up the base hit to Eddie Rosario, gives up the double to Kevin Pillar. They're second and third, one out. And he has this great battle with Michael Harris. Great battle. And he gets him to ground out to third. Beatty made me nervous when he uh, pumped up a couple of times, but throws home, gets Rosario at the plate. First and third, two outs. He is one batter away from getting through this fifth inning and changing everything because I don't think they put the tarp on the field if it's 0-0. But that's the scenario with a young pitcher that always scares me. He won the battle. But can he win the war? And he gives up the leadoff single, not leadoff single, first pitch single to Ronald Acuna Jr., one nothing Braves. Now, that wouldn't have mattered because, again, they were going to stop the game after five anyway. And we would have been even more pissed if it was one nothing. But then, of course, for good measure, Matt Olson hits one to Georgia. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And it's 4 nothing, And really ruined David Peterson's performance. I'm sorry, because I think until that fifth inning, or at least until Acuna came up, we were all thinking to ourselves, wow, okay, this is this is interesting. A little, little last-second push from Peterson to remain in the rotation. Go out and throw five scoreless, six scoreless against the Braves. Now we're cooking. And instead, 
I think we walk away from that outing and say, all right, send him to AAA. And that's what the Mets did. They optioned him to AAA. We had talked about this on the last few Ricos. He had not pitched well enough to remain in the rotation. He did not outpitch Tyler McGill. Even though Joey Lucchese has only made two starts, he did not outpitch Joey Lucchese. And with Scherzer coming back and Verlander coming back, David, we'll see you again soon. And we will, because someone will get hurt. I mean, so we will. We're going to see him soon. But very, very frustrating. Uh, as they lose this game for nothing and the offense did nothing. It was, you know, is what it is. The positive was Brett Beatty played. Uh, it was good to see Bucks start him against the lefty and cited the fact that he's hot, which is also nice to see because a lot of managers don't believe in the concept of hotness and Beatty rewards him because he gets a leadoff single against him in the third inning, an inning that went nowhere, but nevertheless, he did have a hit. Alvarez had a hit. They both played and we're starting to see, I mentioned this last time, Pete, we're seeing the momentum of Alvarez playing every day. He is starting to now play the bulk of the time behind the plate. So that's definitely something that I think we, are, we should all be happy about because we all wanted it. And it's it's clearly happening before our eyes. He's catching most of the time now. No, it's good. And I saw another stat today saying, like, I think his pitch framing is like 96 percentile in the league, like how dominant he is in that category. I know this is all whatever. It, it, it's not all about analytics. It's all about just giving the kid playing time and stuff like that. But it's good to see that he's really the only person we haven't seen him with is Senga. That that's yep. that's really what it comes down to, to to so far. And the good thing is, if you you see the success of Beatty and Alvarez, maybe this will push Buck and Epler to be okay with if Mauricio and Vientos keep on crushing it in the minors to bring them up sooner. Well, Vientos is going to make this impossible because he's hitting like three eighty. He's striking out a lot less. He is tearing it up at AAA to the point where they have to call him up. And it leads to Tommy Pham, who's done next to nothing after that opening road trip. Tommy Pham got a, a, did a, first, a good first impression for us. He got off to a nice start. But since that nice start, and he's always in the lineup against the lefty, whether it's at DH or it's in left field, Tommy Pham has become a regular when there's a left-hander on the mound. And right now he's five for his last 37. He's 0 for his last 16. I don't think necessarily the Mets are going to DFA Tommy Pham, though I, it's it's too early to do it. But when you have Mark Vientos tearing the cover off the ball in AAA, there's going to come to a point when you, when you have to find a spot for him. So you could look at Eduardo Escobar and Tommy Pham, put the money aside, and say, which one are you, I guess, closer to DFA? If Escobar could play a little outfield, and we haven't seen that yet this year, or Beatty could play a little outfield, which we haven't seen this year, I think it makes it easier to get rid of Tommy Pham. But because of the position he plays, he probably is the guy less likely to be DFA'd than Eduardo Escobar because Vientos plays third base too. So based on positions, it makes Pham more valuable, but both guys aren't hitting. And there's going to come a point, Pete, like it did with Beatty, when Vientis has to be called up. The question's going to be, who's the one barring a fake injury? You know, I'm going to stick this guy on the IL. Who's the guy that loses his job? Escobar versus Fan. Well, the other thing, too, is like you said, Guillermo is always that other option. It's complicated with him because of the fact that if, unless Mauricio's coming up, he still is eligible. He's the only guy who can play shortstop. So, I don't know. Maybe they come to a point where they say, hey, we're comfortable if it's a 
a brief injury to Lindor of shifting Beatty over or McNeil over whomever, whoever you want to stick over there for a few innings. And if there's a real injury, we'll quickly make the call. We'll bring Guillaume back up. So as long as they're comfortable with the fact that Lindor is going to play every, every single day and they do not have a true backup shortstop on the roster, you're right in the fact that he has options, but you do lose that ability to give Francisco Lindor a random off day, which I know never happens. And here's the thing, though. Reality is, is I'm looking at these four core players uh, that are coming up through our, our system. It, to me, it's exciting because you could see there's going to be dead spells in the season throughout the vets. And that's where those younger players are going to be able to actually carry the team. And not, not with the expectation of, well, if we don't have these young kids where they can't win games, but they're going to do it on their own because they're excited to be up there. Their bats are really good. And they're go- we're going to win more games because of it rather than have these dead spells. All right, a couple of things. Adam Adovino back from paternity list. John Curtis back from AAA. David Peterson down at AAA. Brooks Raley with an injury, which is kind of scary. He's the one left-hander out of the bullpen. He is now on the injured list. So the Mets now have zero lefties on the major league roster, which it's not ideal, but you also don't want to force feed a lefty on the roster just to say you have a lefty. So I'm certainly not against, obviously, Adovino coming back as necessary, but John Curtis getting the recall. As far as the rotation is concerned, look, I don't know if they're going to play Sunday. It doesn't feel like they're going to play Sunday. If they do play Sunday, though, you go Tyler McGill Sunday, and then what do you do Monday? Because Max Scherzer is no longer eligible to return from his suspension until Tuesday, which draws us back to a question I've asked before. When are the Mets comfortable with Kodai Senga pitching on regular rest? Because Kodai Senga's spot in the rotation is right there, but it would mean that he has to pitch on just four days rest. Are they okay with that? Now, the other option is Jose Budo, which obviously fits. I'm kind of guessing that's what they're going to do because I think the Mets continue to be maybe afraid isn't the right word or just hesitant to pitch Kodai Senga on regular rest but if Sanga doesn't pitch Monday and Scherzer pitches Tuesday and Verlander pitches Wednesday now Sanga's got a lot of extra rest so we'll see how they handle it but it is nice to know that Scherzer is coming back that Justin Verlander is coming back and so this rotation has a little bit more sense of what we thought it would be coming up uh quickly about DeGrom because I know that's always something Met fans want to talk about uh, it sucks Look, I can't deny the fact that as much as I wanted Jake back over the last two years, every start has been riddled with, is he healthy? Is he healthy? Is he going to stay healthy? And obviously that's been the story of his early tenure in Texas, where he gives you the flashes of brilliance and dominance, which makes me crazy and Pete crazy because we wanted him on this team. But then he gives you the reminder of, oh my God, there's always something. This one felt more serious. I hope he's okay. I hope it's not the big one because the Grom has avoided the big one. You know, the time he missed last year wasn't the big one, even though it was a lot of time. But you know what I mean? Like the big one that really alters his career. And, and I, look, I'm just one Met fan. I know a lot of other Met fans sit there laughing about this whole thing. I hope he's okay. But I'll remind you, until Justin Verlander consistently pitches for our team, it's not like Verlander's gone out there and pitched every five days. Uh, question to you, because I got, I got presented with this uh, uh, during uh, Tiki and Tierney show, and I didn't know the exact answer, but to you, how many Mets fans are 
anti minority. Like minority. I think that minority. when we work on sports talk radio and we go to social media, that callers and those that tweet, not to put anybody down, I think it's great when people do it. I don't think that represents the majority of people. And my proof of this, where I'll be proven right, or I'll be proven wrong, but where I think I'll be proven right is they're going to play a video for Jake at City Field in August, just like they played a video for Dominic Smith and they played a video for Seth Lugo. Whether he's pitching or not, whether he's healthy or not, there will be a tribute video for DeGrom in August, and I am convinced it will be nothing but cheers. You will not hear a boo from that crowd. So I think sometimes we get lost in what we think Met fans really believe because it's easy based on those that call Sports Talk Radio or those that tweet to think that represents everybody. I just don't think it does. So I'm not saying that most Met fans are DeGrom marks like me, but I think most Met fans think about Jake and say, hey, he was a great Met. And no matter what he does in Texas, whether he's hurt or he's great or he sucks, doesn't change the fact that he was great as a Met. So I think that'll be proven in late August, but I wish him the best. I follow him obviously closely for a myriad of reasons. I don't want to see him get hurt. I, you know what I want? I want everybody to be happy. I want him to be great, and I want Verlander to be great. And, you know, barring any kind of setback, we'll see Justin for the first time on Wednesday in Detroit, and hopefully he can be a reliable arm every five days because I think the rotation needs that. I think that's important for the rotation. We will give you another Rico probably on Monday after this series ends. I don't think they're playing Sunday. And like I mentioned on the last Rico, I thought it was good to do one. Saturday night and a Sunday, kind of reset what's going on. And then once this series with Atlanta, however many games it takes is over, we'll recap it. What I'd be curious about real quick, and then we'll get to this big debate on the pitch clock. If they rain out Sunday, do they have a doubleheader on Monday? Okay, if they go doubleheader Monday, it's Tyler McGill and probably Jose Budo because of what we talked about with Sanga. Or do they try to push the game back even further? The, the problem with pushing it back further is you have a series in August. It's the only other time the Braves come in, and you already have a doubleheader on that Saturday. You're going to put another doubleheader the day before or the day after? Or do you try to find a common off day where the Braves could fly back and play a makeup game? I would always prefer that, but I'd be intrigued to see what the Mets do. So keep an eye on the fact that Monday could be a very busy day. Uh, they already have a game scheduled at 1 o'clock. It would probably be a straight doubleheader. The Mets go to Detroit. The Braves go to Miami. So it's not any kind of crazy travel, but they'll. I, I doubt it would be a double admission. I think it would be a straight doubleheader, 1 o'clock, Mets-Braves on Monday. But either way, we'll give you Rico right after that. Now, the pitch clock. We're a month into the season. So when we come back, we talked to a WFAN caller who was very adamantly against the pitch clock. And we have a nice, friendly pitch clock debate that can only be heard on Rico Bronia.